All right. Merry Christmas. It is exciting for me to see people in our new building on Christmas Eve. And this is kind of a, a dream come true for me. As I was thinking about this message, it's kind of my first Christmas Eve service. I was thinking about the pressure there is on pastors, particularly on this night, to be kind of sentimental. There's this idea that Christmas is a time to spread cheer. And then what happened is I opened up my Bible to prep this message, and we see Mary hearing the news that the first Christmas is coming, and we see that instead of being cheerful, she's deeply troubled. And I think that as we dive into this passage, what we're going to see is that Jesus wants us to see his glory in such a way that we are transformed on the spot by it. It might not feel sentimental or give us these nostalgic, happy feelings that we're used to having at Christmas, but I think it's going to end up being better than that. And so what we're going to see in this passage in Luke chapter 1 is that the birth of Jesus upends the status quo. It changes us as we see Jesus for who he is. So we're going to see three effects of Christmas. The first one we see in the text is that Christmas imparts troubling Favor. Look with me at Luke chapter 1. We're looking at verses 26 through 34 to start. A lot of you will be familiar with this story. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David." And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Okay, so we have the angel Gabriel coming to visit a young teenage girl, probably 16 years old, named Mary, who lived in a small town called Nazareth of about 400 people. Now, remember that angels are not what we immediately picture as Western Americans. Angels were actually giant and terrifying creatures. In the book of Revelation in the Bible, John comes face to face with an angel, and the angel is so glorious that he falls down and worships the angel. Oops. And... What happens here is this angel shows up to Mary and we expect that Mary is troubled that there's an angel standing in front of her, that she's terrified of the angel. 
But that's not what the text says. The text says not that she's troubled by the presence of the angel, but she's troubled at what he says to her. And what the angel says to her is, Greetings, O favored one. Here's what troubled the soul of Mary. She thought of herself as undeserving. In fact, I think she thought of herself as ill-deserving. At a young age, God had impressed upon her heart the reality that she was a sinner. For someone as glorious as an angel to come to her and say to her that she was favored, her internal reaction to that is, I think that you got the wrong address. I think you came to the wrong person. Because there's no way that I would be the favored one. And I think that as the angel unpacked what he meant by the reality that she was favored, her soul sunk into this more and more troubling state. Because the angel would go on to tell her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. See, not just that you're favored, Mary, but you're favored in such a way that the Son of God will be conceived in your womb. She's not having a sentimental moment. She's having a moment where she is beholding something so glorious and so amazing that her soul is deeply troubled by it. Can you imagine getting a call before the next inauguration from the President of the United States directly and being asked to pray at the inauguration? I don't know about you, but if I got that phone call, I would be troubled because I would immediately think that the president had the wrong phone number and that they were calling the wrong person and that they had somehow messed it up. Mary is having that type of moment because she sees herself in a humble way. Christmas reminds us of the troubling reality that we are sinners, that we are undeserving of the favor of God. And yet, it doesn't leave us there, but introduces us to the idea of a different type of favor, a favor that is not response to performance, but flows out of the heart of God and goes to places like Nazareth, which was not on the map, to people like Mary who didn't think that they deserved it, to people like us who know 
that we could never earn the favor of God. So the first thing we see is that the birth of Jesus imparts this troubling favor. The second thing we see in the text is that it supplies overshadowing power. Mary has a very perceptive question that all of us would have been asking at this time. How shall this be since I am a virgin? And this is the angel's answer. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, there's this argument that the virgin birth is a myth and that Mary was convinced that she conceived a child this way because back in the day, people didn't know where babies came from. That's just not true from the text. Mary asked the very obvious question, how shall this be since I am a virgin? And the angel gives her a supernatural explanation. He says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Saying this will not have human origins. This is not of the flesh. This is only possible because God is going to do something unique in this situation. There's this argument that goes, this story is just another myth that was somehow picked up from Greek mythology. See, there's all these um, virgins conceiving type stories in Greek mythology. The difference is that in those stories, the way that virgins conceived was they actually had sexual intercourse with the Greek gods. This is different than those stories because this is God by the Holy Spirit through another means making a girl pregnant by an overshadowing supernatural power, not by normally understood human means. And the reason that God did it this way, he explains to us through this angel, it is so that, or therefore, the child shall be called holy, the son of God. Here's what God is alerting us to through this story. This is a unique one-of-a-kind person. This person who will be born of the Virgin Mary will be fully human. That is why he will be born from a human. But he will not be merely human. He is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God. In a category by himself, he will exist as a perfect Person, a perfectly righteous person, a per- person who will never sin, a person who will simultaneously walk on the earth and uphold the universe by the word of his power. 
he will be in a category by himself. And Mary is asking the question, how? And the answer is, nothing is impossible with God. See, God is not limited by the things that humans are limited by. He can take a virgin and make her conceive miraculously by overshadowing human limitations. Don't you love the image of overshadowing? Whenever I think of that word, I always think of this story that involved me, my dad, my mom, and two dogs. Okay, We were on a walk together in our neighborhood, walking down Blueberry Lane in West Lafayette, Indiana. And we were dog-sitting for a family. And we had this little skipper key dog that we were walking down the street. And around the corner, my friend, John Evans, whenever I talk about my friends from elementary school, I always use first and last name. John Evans lived at that house. And he had a giant dog. In my mind, as I look back on it, I think of it like the kid in the sandlot thought about the beast. Like the beast lived there. And we're walking around this corner and, you know, we've got the dog on the leash and it's jingling and whatever. And I'm on the inside closest to this house. And all of a sudden, this dog comes tearing around from behind John Evans' house. I'm in upper elementary school and my life is flashing before my eyes. This dog, like my limitations would make it impossible for me to do anything about this situation. And before I could blink, my dad jumps from the outside, inside of me, starts running up the yard toward this dog and just goes, (laughs) and the dog just whimpers, puts his tail between its legs and runs back. In that moment, it was good news to me that my dad overshadowed me. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The question that we have is not, how can this happen? The question is, who can make this happen? Nothing is impossible with God. Which has a direct application for all of us. Because we all have in our lives what feel like to us impossible situations. We look at our own limitations. We look at what God's called us to. We look at what's facing us in the future. We get afraid and we get anxious because we say, I cannot face this situation on my own. I came across this quote that I thought would be helpful to all of us because it was helpful to me from a pastor named Ray Ortland Sr., He said, when thinking about Christmas, this is what we're supposed to think. We are not wringing our hands and moaning, what is the world coming to? We are rejoicing and declaring, look who has come into the world. You see, when God's power, his overshadowing power, meets human limitations, what we get is the miraculous, the divine, the supernatural overcoming 
what we fear most. You know, one of the things that I say to myself each week that I repeat to myself before I come up on the stage, because, you know, this uh, thing that I'm doing right now is uh, scary for me. Uh, I've never liked public speaking, and yet in God's, uh, you know, divine comedy, he makes that my job. And I say to myself before I come up on the stage, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. If you feel weak and inadequate, God's overshadowing power is for you. His specialty is to take our limitations and make gold out of them. Okay, so we see that the birth of Jesus upends the status quo by imparting troubling favor, supplying overshadowing power. And finally... This is the one maybe we don't like as much. By demanding remarkable submission. Now look at Mary's response to this news. Verse 38, very simple statement. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, I want you to notice something. This behold that Mary uses is the third behold that's used in this text. The first one is in verse 31, where the angel comes to Mary and says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The second is in verse 36. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. Here's what's true. When you behold the greatness of God's power, if you see it and see it clearly and see the grace of God in it, what it will cause in your heart is for you to say, behold to God. And you will say to God, not behold my greatness, but behold, this is my life. It is yours. See, Mary sees the greatness of the news that the angel has brought to her. And she understands in that moment that the only proper response from her heart is to give her entire life over to God's service. She says, I am a bondservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See, there's not a sense at all that Mary is mo motivated out of a sense of duty. It's not like, okay, God, I know the Ten Commandments, those are hard, but I'm going to try to follow them with, with all of my being, and I don't really want to. But because you've told me to, okay, begrudgingly, I'll go through the steps and kind of go through the outward actions. No. She says, I am a bondservant of the Lord. A bondservant was someone who was a lifelong 
servant. There were no limitations put on that person. Whatever the master said, they did. Everyone in ancient Rome would have completely understood what she was saying here. She is saying, I am taking my hands off my life. My life is entirely at your disposal, God. Those of us who have beheld the grace of the gospel of Jesus know that this is the only reasonable response to the good news. Now, I've experienced grace at the supernatural level. I've also experienced grace at the very natural level. I remember when I was a senior in college. I was in my second semester. I had started dating my wife, Melissa, and school was never my thing, but it really took a backseat during that last semester. I was getting an A in my English class, doing A-level work, and with two weeks left in the semester before I was supposed to graduate, I got an email from my English professor. Dear Mr. Stevenson, our records show that you have 20 absences this semester. The university policy says that if your absences exceed six, that you cannot pass this class. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no. All the plans are going down the toilet. I'm supposed to get engaged soon. I got my job lined up. This can't happen. And so I did the only rational thing, and I ran over to my English professor's room. And I said, listen, I'm supposed to graduate in two weeks. I've been doing A-level work. I know that I have not lived up to the university of policy, but will you please give me a C if I attend every class for the rest of the semester? She looked at me and she said, you've got a deal, but you can't tell anyone else in your class because everyone else who broke this rule, I am failing. Do you know what I did as a result of receiving that grace? Did I not go to class and just take the grace for granted and just say, okay, whatever, it doesn't really matter, I'm doing A-level work? No. I sat in the front row every single day, continued to do A-level work, and when I got the C, I was so delighted. <laughs> that is the most beautiful shape I have ever seen on a report card. Why did I keep the rules after that experience? Because I had received grace. When you behold the grace of Jesus, when you are troubled by his favor and overshadowed by his power, you give your life to him. Not because you have to, but because you see that the essential news of the gospel is that God gave his son to you. Now, there's a reason that we don't hang angel Gabriels around our necks or little mangers, but we hang crosses around our neck. And that's because the grace that we are ultimately meant to behold is the grace of Jesus on the cross for us. You see, Jesus came 
as a baby in this miraculous way to show us that he is fully God and fully man. But he didn't stop at the manger. He became a boy and a man. He lived a perfect life. His best friends. He was on a three-year-long camping trip, and those guys said he never said anything wrong. No cuss words. Unbelievable. No deceit found in his mouth. And then, the only good person, the only righteous person who ever lived, died on the cross. What's the meaning of that? He was there for you. So that you would behold the grace of God. So that tonight you would be troubled by God's favor. Why would God's son come to earth to become a baby in order to die on the cross? He did it for you. He did it for me. Because when we see the cross, we simultaneously see how much God loves us, that he would go from heaven to earth to make that happen. But we also see what our sin deserves. And so we are invited to be overshadowed by the grace of that. Because you see, Jesus did not stay dead. We are not talking about Jesus tonight like he's an 80s basketball player who used to be good. He is present here with us now by his spirit and he is making dead people alive. And so I am inviting you to trust in the living Jesus to give your life to him, to say, I am a bondservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. Jesus, the message of Christmas is troubling. That you, the holy, righteous, most high son of God, became a baby, then a boy, then a man, in order to die in our place for our sin. The grace is remarkable to behold. And I pray that those who have never trusted in Jesus would have the eyes of their hearts opened so that they can see that the cross is for them. And for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, would you trouble us again? And would you overshadow us with your power so that Christ would be formed in us? In Jesus' name, amen.